Hi, this is Brent White, and welcome back to my podcast. I preach the following sermon for our May 10th, 2020 online worship service at Tacoa First United Methodist Church. The sermon is called How to Suffer Well, and it's based on 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. This is part four of our sermon series, Rocky 7. I hope you enjoy. So I am wearing a particular tie right now. This is an orange tie, and it has what is known as a brocaded pattern. Isn't that right, brocade? And the, the pattern is of the famous Chick-fil-A logo. And I'm wearing this orange tie because it was given to me by a friend of mine who I consider one of my Christian heroes. He, um, I, and I'm talking about Christians that I've actually known, you know, in real life. His name is Tracy Fleming, and he's the owner-operator of the Chick-fil-A in Lovejoy, Georgia, on the south side of Atlanta, not too far from where I pastored a church for five years. And I always like to go somewhere else uh, and work on my sermon. And so, you know, once every couple of weeks at least, I would go to this Chick-fil-A and spend several hours working on my sermon. And I got to know Tracy um, from that experience, and eventually he gave me a tie. <laughs> That's why I'm wearing it. But um, I, I invited Tracy to speak at my church uh, on a couple of occasions because I thought his message was so inspiring. You see, a couple, now I don't, Let me preface this by saying I don't know how the whole coronavirus has changed his plans recently, but for many years consecutively, he would go to China a couple of times each year in order to train and equip Christian pastors and and other Christians who were new to the faith um, in the underground church in China. He would pay for it um, himself. And um, this was a risky proposition for Tracy, as he explained to me. It was potentially even life-threatening. Because when he went to China, he knew that he and his fellow Christians were under surveillance by the Chinese government. Now, Tracy himself is half Japanese, but... It's not like being Japanese, you know, endears you to the Chinese, given their long history of hostility. My point is, when Tracy went there, um, there was at least a small risk that he would never come home. But he went anyway because he loved Jesus that much. And that's inspiring to me. Tracy told me, Uh, one time about a conversation that he had with a a Chinese pastor there. And this pastor was describing the intense persecution that he and many of his fellow pastors and Christians were facing. And Tracy told him, I'll be praying to the Lord that 
he'll put an end to this persecution and suffering. And this pastor had a flash of anger and indignation when Tracy said that. And he said, what makes you think God wants to put an end to the persecution and the suffering? God is using our persecution and suffering to do powerful things for God's kingdom in China. And Tracy was like, whoa. I mean, he, he, felt, um, he felt very humbled by this pastor's words. But is it true? Is what this Chinese pastor said possibly true? Was suffering a part of God's plan for these Christians? When we consider today's scripture, it's hard to disagree with him. Our scripture begins, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Now, the servants to whom Peter refers are literally slaves. Some English Bibles translate it that way. Some, um, some say uh, household slaves or domestic servants. It's, it's kind of difficult to translate that word because when we think of the word slave today in our context, we immediately go to the British slave trade and then the, the American slave trade and the, the history of slavery in the 17th and through 19th centuries here in, in North America. And that is not the same kind of institution that existed in the first century um, with slavery. Um, slavery of the first century, the kind of the slaves to whom Peter is writing here, um, they were more like what we would call indentured servants. Um, the institution of slavery was voluntary. Um, if you had debts that you couldn't pay, you could sell yourself into slavery for a limited amount of time. It wasn't lifelong, and oftentimes you would do so because you were so desperate that if you didn't, you would starve to death. Also, the slaves that Peter is talking about here were often well-educated, professional people. Um, they could be doctors and teachers, and they could manage large estates. They could be accountants. Not all of them, but I mean, that a lot of them, and, and a lot of them could enjoy some degree of freedom of coming and going. But I, I'm not saying this to minimize um, slavery, but I, I will argue that the Bible does not endorse slavery. In fact, if you look at the Bible's words about slavery, for example, in Paul's letter to Philemon, if Philemon, who was a slaveholder, is going to take Paul's words to heart and do what Paul tells him to do regarding his runaway slave Onesimus, well, suddenly um, the, the, the institution of slavery would be undermined because the New Testament plants the seeds that ultimately would, would lead uh, to making slavery illegal. Um, but again, I don't mean to minimize it. Sla slavery, um, slaves were at the mercy of their masters. 
They could be badly mistreated and they had no rights to speak of. In fact, Peter is writing during a time of of great persecution of Christians. Many pagans were already afraid of Christians. and, And if pagan masters found out that their slaves had converted to this bizarre new religion, well, it could mean great persecution and suffering for these Christian slaves. Peter knows this. And if, and if suffering and persecution come, what are these Christians supposed to do about it? Peter says that they are supposed to endure it, not out of cowardice or fear, but for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, who also suffered unjustly in order to save the lost. You see, God loves even these slave holders, and he wants to save them too. And these Christians who are slaves could be used by God to do just that. And you might say, well, we're not slaves today. Uh, We're not indentured servants today. What does this passage have to do with us? And my answer, everything. It has everything to do with us. Why do I say that? Well, notice in verse 18, Peter begins by addressing Christians in a particular situation. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. But then in the very next verse, listen to what he says. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. He says, when one endures. That means anyone, not just slaves. The principle applies to all of us Christians. So he's giving a general principle here that applies to all Christians everywhere. Not only that, he goes on to say in verse 21, to this you have been called. To what? To unjust suffering. All of us Christians, Peter says, should expect to suffer unjustly in this life. Why? Ultimately, because God wants us to. He he has called us to suffer, Peter says. It's part of his plan for us. He's using it for his glory, for the world's good, and for his purposes. See, we often think that when suffering comes our way, It disrupts our lives. The Bible says, by contrast, that it's an important and necessary part of our lives. We believe that suffering intrudes on our happiness. The Bible says, by contrast, that there's a resilient kind of happiness and joy that we can have even in the midst of suffering. We often think, think, um, without saying it out loud, that the more faithful we are to God... God will repay the favor and will cause us to suffer less. The Bible, by contrast, shows us one example after another of saints whose lives become much more difficult the more faithful they become. It was true for Peter himself. In Acts chapter 5, not long after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, Peter and the apostles are arrested because they are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And the, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, rule, tells them, warns them, you've got to stop talking about Jesus or else. And Peter, think this is Peter we're talking about. He stands up and he says, we must obey God rather than men. Can you imagine the, the Peter who's afraid of, the, of the, the servant girl in the courtyard of the high priest the night Jesus was arrested? This same Peter stands up and says, we can't do that. We, God has called us to do this. We're going to obey God and not you. And what happens? Well, they, Peter and the apostles get beaten before they're released um, from jail. And, uh, and listen to what Luke says. Then the apostles left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Acts 5.41. Worthy to suffer dishonor. This implies that they were suffering because of their faithfulness to Jesus, not in spite of it. Indeed, this is a part of God's plan for them, a means through which unbelievers would be saved. Also, remember this. Peter is living his life already with a death sentence hanging over his head. He knows that. Jesus told him back in John chapter 21 on that beach by the Sea of Galilee um, that at some point in the future, Peter himself would be crucified just as Jesus was crucified. Peter saw firsthand how horrifying that was, how painful that must have been, uh, dying this, this brutal death. He knows what's in store for him. Now, that would be terrible to have that hanging over our heads. That could potentially paralyze us with fear, yet Peter has found something that, that helps him not only to cope with it, but that helps him to, to live his life with joy in the face of this suffering. I want that. I need that in my life. Don't you? Now let's be careful. When I talk about suffering as a Christian, you're probably thinking, you know, I I hear what Peter's saying about suffering for Jesus. The truth is, I don't really suffer that much um, on account of my faith. I mean, I live in America, thank God. We have, we have First Amendment protections. This isn't communist China. I'm free to be a Christian here. But if that's your point of view, <laughs> I'm going to say something that might surprise you. If you're a Christian, you suffer more than you know because of your faith. Remember Paul's words in Ephesians 6, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The interesting thing about Paul is that he was someone who wrestled constantly against flesh and blood, human beings. He was constantly getting into trouble with human rulers and authorities who violently opposed him and his ministry at every turn. And yet this same Paul could say that he wasn't really fighting flesh and blood people. 
The war was much larger, much deeper, much more difficult than that. Paul understood that he was really at war with Satan and with his army of of demons. He understood, in other words, that he was fighting a spiritual war. And Paul says that we are too, whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not, whether we know it or not, if you are a Christian, you are fighting in a war. Look, we're all suffering a little bit from this coronavirus um, pandemic. Um, and, and you say, well, yeah, but, but that has nothing to do with, with, uh, with our Christian faith, the way Peter is describing. Oh, yes, it does. Because there are spiritual forces at work in your life right now that are trying to use this pandemic to make shipwreck of our faith, to make us depressed, to make us afraid, to make us discouraged, to make us bitter, to sow seeds of discord and division, to fill us with resentment, to fill us with self-pity, to fill us with anger, even if Unlike Peter and the Christians in Asia Minor to whom he's writing, or unlike those Christians in China that I mentioned earlier, even if we don't have flesh and blood enemies who are fighting against us because of our Christian faith, we still have a deadly unseen enemy who is fighting against us at every turn. And the more faithful we are to Jesus, the harder he's going to fight us. I mean, sure. If, if you're a Christian in name only, a, a Christian who's, who's, who's taken this light of Christ and, and hidden it under a bushel, a nominal Christian who has somehow survived years, even decades of church going without having a personal relationship with Jesus, without being born again, without without ever truly uh, giving your life to Jesus and trusting in him, then obviously you are no threat to the devil and to his kingdom. He's got you just where he wants you, and he's going to leave you alone. (laughs) But you're not allowed to be that kind of Christian if you're going to be a member here at Tekoa First United Methodist. I'm going to make it very uncomfortable to be that kind of Christian here at Tekoa First. How am I doing? (laughs) Um, If you're a member or regular attender of this church, I want you to be the kind of Christian that the devil and his forces are going to attack because they're so afraid of the powerful things that the Spirit of Jesus Christ is going to do through you. And and when they do attack, and, and you do have to suffer for it, like Peter and the Christians to whom he's writing, it will be because of your Christian faith. So, so how do we handle that suffering when it comes? Peter gives us a clue in verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. That means what he's about to describe is possible only because of divine intervention. It's a gracious thing in the sense that it is a gift from God. We, we need to receive the grace in order to live like this, in other words. Um, but it is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, 
one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Mindful of God. What is it about God that we're supposed to be mindful of when we experience unjust suffering that's going to help us be able to deal with it? First, we're mindful of what Paul says in Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God knows, God knows that we've been hurt unjustly. Just because God permits it and uses it for our good, for the good of others, for, for, the, for his glory, that doesn't mean that God is okay with the wrong that's been done. God is perfectly committed to justice. God sees that every injustice, he sees every injustice that we've suffered. Every time we've been mistreated, every time we've been gossiped about and slandered, every time that we've been abused, every time we've been sinned against, God will ensure that these sins against us are punished, either on the cross of his son Jesus or in hell for those who reject God's offer of salvation through Christ. No one escapes God's justice in the long run. And everything we've suffered in this world will be more than compensated in the world to come. That's a promise from God. Second, we are mindful that when we endure suffering the way Jesus did, God will reward us. This is implied in verse 19, which says that our faithful endurance brings God's Favor. Favor is a, another name for reward, which, if not given in this life, will be given in heaven. Is the thought of a heavenly reward enough of an incentive to, to motivate us to endure suffering with faith, hope, and love, rather than anger, self-pity, and bitterness? Finally, <clears throat> we are mindful that God is sovereign. He's in control. Nothing happens to us that takes God by surprise. Nothing happens to us that has the power to, to, to change God's good plans for our lives. He's included all of it already in the plans that he's made for us despite any temporary setbacks that we might be experiencing at this moment, God's good plan for us is going forward. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. In verse 25, Peter quotes Isaiah 53 and reminds us of one important metaphor that describes our relationship with God. Now, there are other metaphors to be sure, but this is one important one, and you're familiar with it. Um, we, Jesus' disciples, are like sheep, and Jesus is our good shepherd. Now, if I am like a sheep, and Jesus is my good shepherd, 
what do I really know about what's best for me? Sheep, after all, are famously dumb animals. <laughs> uh, Kavana is in the audience, and she just motioned to indicate that what I just said is true. No, sheep walk off cliffs. They get lost. They get separated from the flock. They, they put themselves in harm's way. They make really bad decisions all the time. It would be incredibly presumptuous for a sheep, if it were possible, to second-guess the shepherd, to dictate to the shepherd what's best, what's in the best interest for a sheep. And yet, how often, when I'm angry, upset, filled with self-pity because I'm not getting what I think I deserve at that moment, how often am I doing the same thing? I'm reminded of that scripture from Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. I really want to lean on my own understanding. I really want to be wise in my own eyes. I resist acknowledging my good shepherd so often. But Christ, my good shepherd, puts up with me. No, much more than that. He loves me without condition, and, and he laid down his life for me in order to make me, of all possible sheep, a part of his flock. And now he fights for me, just like a good shepherd does, and he will keep me safe. And remember Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want that means that Jesus, my good shepherd, will always give me what I ultimately need to satisfy the deepest longings of my soul, and he'll do the same for you. Amen. Almighty God, we confess that oftentimes we don't make very good sheep because we do, um, in the midst of trials and trouble and suffering, we do second-guess you and second-guess our Good Shepherd, and uh, we are sorry. But we need a, a miracle in our hearts to change. We need you to, 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 to give us the ability to trust in our Shepherd, our Good Shepherd, more and more. Transform or continue to transform our hearts so that we will listen to his voice, we'll go where he says to go, and, and we will trust that no matter in what situation we find ourselves, that, that he is always guiding us and working for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
thanks for listening. Like most churches, Tacoa First United Methodist hasn't been meeting in person for a couple of months now, um, but I look forward to the time when we can get together and worship in person again, which I, which I hope is going to happen very soon. In the meantime, check our website at tacoafirstumc.org for more information.